0: This is the Faithful Expositor, a podcast
1: from the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Jonathan Sims of Shepperville Mills Baptist Church. Welcome to another edition of the Faithful Expositor. I'm your host, Joe Carpenter, and today I'm here in the studio again, talking with Brother John O. Sims about the persecuted church. And of course, this comes on the heels of your message that you preached from Revelation chapter two, verses eight through eleven that you entitled Smyrna, the Persecuted Church. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday, about how each one of the seven churches in Asia at this time, uh, we could almost give them their own title for the church. And uh, just uh, how did this uh, title come about for you?
0: When you read the text, it's obvious that The way Christ addresses them right up front, I'm the first and the last, I'm he who was dead and is alive, that Christ was speaking to a church that was under a great trial, and he was using those descriptors of himself to encourage them that though the fire may be intense, the persecution may be very, very serious, I've already overcome it. I've already been through what you're going through, and I'm comforting you and assuring you, I see what you're going through. I'm aware of it. I'm in your midst. I'm going to bring you through. The words he uses, he uses words like tribulation. He uses words like suffering. Some of you will be cast into prison. Some of you will have to be faithful even unto death. The entire context of the church at Smyrna is one of a church in the very fire of persecution.
1: You said a lot of things that I want to discuss with you this morning but before we do that help us to understand and maybe just kind of give us a good idea what is persecution? It can take on many different forms I think a lot of things
0: that in America we refer to as persecution the first century church would probably laugh at as just normal ordinary difficulties of life Their definition of persecution would have been um, major, major opposition from the Roman governing authorities, persecution for not burning incense to Caesar. So there was political persecution. It would have been persecution for not visiting one of the Greek gods or goddesses' temple, which was permeated all of, of Roman, but particularly Smyrna culture. and it would have been from fierce opposition from the Jewish synagogue. Jesus even calls them the synagogue of Satan. All of these forces collided together and became one in fierce opposition of the church. It manifests itself in threats. It manifests itself in intimidation. It it manifests itself in physical attacks and persecutions. We know that somewhere around 50 years after Smyrna received this letter, Polycarp was burned alive, a direct disciple of the apostle John. So these are not imagined things or, oh, somebody looked at me wrong today or, oh, somebody said something that hurt my feelings. That's not really persecution. This church was being threatened. Their livelihood was being taken away. Their ability to work and have productive jobs. When Jesus says, I know your poverty, that speaks of destitution. We would even say homelessness. These are people that had lost everything everything and were about to some of them lose their lives it was bona fide persecution tribulation can mean heaviness there was a weight the the full awareness of what they were facing for the gospel of jesus christ weighed on them continually and constantly and this went on for a good while so the persecution was not nuanced it was in-your-face opposition, bow or burn. The persecution was very real and
1: very heavy on this church. And you made a good point that uh, this isn't something that, I guess for us today, not everyone that we know of in our circles are experiencing anything like this. But there are some. There are some to some degree. And we talked about, you even brought out in your message yesterday, a brother of ours who's got... a in this COVID season right now, they've got a lot of government threats and pressure to shut their doors, uh, to not meet, to not congregate and worship. And of course, we hear stories of, say, the Sudan, where there are Christians that are being persecuted by Muslim groups and factions. But you, you made a really good point, though, that uh, a lot of what we experience today, they would I'm sure that it would not be considered persecution. We're talking about somebody on Twitter getting offended by something that you said. But with all that being said, we do understand that persecution is almost common. Um, The Bible you brought out yesterday from Timothy, that the Bible says that if you live a godly life, you will be persecuted. And uh, sometimes it looks different. Sometimes uh, it's heavier than others, but persecution is something that we experience. How would you say, before we talk about it on a personal basis, are you seeing anything uh, like this today, any type of persecution among brothers that we know, or what's been your experience with it? I'd say
0: from the political <clears throat> aspect of what Smyrna was facing. Maybe we just see some rumbles with legislation that's being passed, things that maybe signal persecution that might come on down the road. But I want to say this and be very careful, and I know this is some of the personal things we'll talk about. When you're a man of God and you are called and have a divine call on your life, and some of the brothers, as you and I, went into pastor very very unhealthy biblical churches. They they just weren't biblical in their methodologies or theology. And when that pastor goes into that church armed with truth, even though he's armed with love and grace and speaks the truth in love, the persecution can be real. It can be intense. I know I faced threats. I know people verbally threatened me. I I've, you know, almost been accosted you know, at least three times, uh, probably more that I wasn't even aware of. And when a pastor goes into a church to see that church reformed to biblical health, it is a war. The persecution is real. It can be very, very intense, very intimidating, very threatening. I think we've been seeing that for years. It just hasn't moved quite to the level yet of the political arena that
1: Smyrna was facing. But I do believe that's coming. I believe that will come in time. I agree. That's a good point, too. I'm glad you brought that out. It seems as though a lot of the persecution we see today doesn't come from the outside of the church so much as it does the inside of the church. And if you don't believe that, just go look at Twitter. I mean, so-called brothers just constantly going back and forth, bashing and attacking and attacking and attacking. what what would you say to a brother, then, that's facing that kind of persecution from within, on the inside? The first thing I would say is
0: I think in a lot of our churches, there have been decades and decades of what we would call man-centered decisionism that we've taught people that if you just walk the aisle of a church, pray this sinner's prayer, make this decision then you're saved you're a child of God and we filled our churches up with people with that kind of faulty and unbiblical evangelism so I think it just helps to understand how we got where we are and now you're battling all these unconverted mindsets and unconverted methods and strongholds in our churches so when a pastor goes into a church he really has to start over and like I've always said just survive the first five, seven, ten years. And during that time, preach the word, preach it faithfully, preach it truthfully, you know, go through the pastoral epistles, help the church understand from the Bible, what genuine conversion is, what it looks like, teach what biblical evangelism is and what it looks like and how you practice that and focus on a healthy membership process in your church whereby people are brought in and taught right up front what our church believes, how we function, how we operate, and survey each person that joins your church to make sure, in fact, that as best you can that they have been converted. And then I would say you got to be patient. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle. The persecution is going to be real. But in time, if the pastor stays and sticks with the stuff and preaches the word, God's going to reform and transform that church into a biblically healthy church. But along the way, the
1: persecution is going to be real and intense. Mm. In the text itself, when you were preaching yesterday, uh, you made it a really good point that uh, what Jesus was doing, by the way he even revealed himself to them, would have been a good comfort to that church there. Uh, For example, when he reveals himself to them, he calls himself the first and the last. And then he calls himself, uh, speaks of himself as he who, which was dead and is alive. Talk about the ways that that could be a comfort to somebody then who's uh, facing uh, persecution from within, keeping their eyes on Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Christ lays a great example for us here. Mm -hmm. Before you get into a fire, before you get into persecution,
0: before you face the kind of persecution that Smyrna was facing here, you need to know who your God is. Mm -hmm. You need to know him well. That's why Christ uses the descriptors from Revelation chapter 1 perfectly suited and tailored to each church and what they were going through in chapters 2 and 3. It's a great comfort when you're going through the fire to know that Jesus is the first and the last. He's been through everything, the full spectrum of human suffering before us first. He suffered all the way to the last the worst possible persecution death on a roman cross which none of us will ever suffer that kind of a horrible uh, torturous persecution and fire because not only did he die at the hands of men but at the wrath of god the whole wrath of god against our sin was laid upon christ and he bore that on the cross in our place so christ addresses this church and reminds them of some of his attributes that I became dead is the best translation. He was in full control of the place, the time, and the way in which he died. I became dead, and I'm alive. Jesus said in John, I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to take it up again, which says to us, well, whatever I'm going through, Christ has already conquered this. He's already overcome this, and through Christ, I can overcome. So it's important to know God, know his attributes, know Him well. Be a student of Jesus Christ. Work through the Gospels and learn Christ and know Christ well. And when you go through the fire, you'll find a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He'll never leave us or forsake us. It's a great encouragement when you're in the furnace to know that Jesus has already been through that furnace and gives to us these words, you can overcome you can be faithful unto death. I'm gonna give you a crown of life. Even if you lose your life here, I'm gonna reward you with eternal life there. So hold on and be faithful and
1: persevere. It's been said before that uh, uh, the people that love you the most usually have the capacity to hurt you the most. And so when you're dealing with that kind of persecution from within, that's painful, that hurts. Uh, You and I have been there. What a joy, though, it is to know that Christ reveals himself to us in that personal of a way. He's been uh, tempted in all ways like as we are, yet without sin, the Bible says. And I I think of that one point, too, which was dead and is alive. That's just such a good reminder to me of the gospel. Yes. And I needed that when I had gone through Um, persecution to that degree is just to remember the gospel. This is Jesus. This is who he is. This is what he's done on my behalf. And you nailed it. The best point of application from that when you're considering Jesus is he just says, fear not. Right. What a joy.
0: Amen. (laughs) When you look at church history, the church has always been its best when it was under fire. Notice that Jesus doesn't rebuke the church at Smyrna. There's not one correction that he gives to them. And that's because the fire of persecution was itself the correction. Mm. It kept them close to Jesus. Mm. Persecution kept them in love with Jesus Christ. When the church has been in long seasons of peace, it gets slothful and sloppy. So Christ has a way of using persecution to draw us close to him. I can personally testify in my own life that when I've been through the fire and it's been hot and heavy, those are the times I run to Christ. It's sad that sometimes that's what it takes, but persecution has a way of burning off all the things that we've allowed into our lives and getting us back to Christ, knowing Him, depending upon Him, loving Him, treasuring Him. Persecution has a way of just boiling it down to the lowest common denominator, and that is Jesus Christ. He's all we need, and he's sufficient to help us through any stage of life. He's the first. He's the last. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's been through the full sphere of anything we could go through and was faithful to his Father. And through him, he can give us the strength to
1: overcome and be faithful. We've said the same thing a lot about COVID. 19 during this time that it's been a gift that the lord's given to us for a number of reasons i'll touch on one of them that you mentioned in the sermon in just a minute but one of which is the fact that it just kind of strips away all of the things that are unessential you know things that we don't need and what's left is the main thing
0: we've struggled like everybody else i mean we we've gone through the common sufferings that everybody else has gone through but i think you would agree with this our church hasn't missed a beat right 2020 was one of the strongest years we've ever had. Our attendance has been great. Our giving has been the banner year. This is the best year of financial giving we have ever had since I've been the pastor of this church. Mm -hmm. I think it's because our foundation is the Word of God. Amen. And the person of Jesus Christ. I would hate to be in one of those churches that the church was built around entertainment or Mm -hmm. a a particular worship style or the charisma of the preacher. Those guys are really suffering right now because they don't have anything to offer. Mm -hmm. But I'm thankful that when this pandemic came, our foundation was right. And that's a little signal that that's a warning from our Lord that we need to be ready. Mm -hmm. Persecution is going to come and it's going to try us. And it's it's going to that word try in this text means to take a metal and melt it down. Mm And it's going to be hot, and there's going to be a melting point. And only those things that are built upon Jesus Christ are going to last and are going to stand that test. Mm -hmm. So it's so important that we build our lives, our family, and our church upon
1: the Word of God. That was what I was getting to next. You had said in the message that COVID-19 is a good indicator of how you're going to respond to true persecution. The way that you responded to COVID-19 is a good uh, indicator of how you'll respond whenever true persecution comes. Explain that and flesh that out a little for us. I believe that with all my heart. Mm
0: -hmm. Now I said in the message that motive and heart is everything and there are some genuinely born again saints that love Jesus and love our church that because of health concerns they've been counseled to not get out very much and that's understandable. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do think we each have to examine our hearts. Jesus said in Revelation 2, 23, somewhere along in there, I am he that searches the minds and the hearts. Mm -hmm. Christ can see our motives. He can see our hearts. And here's my point. There are some people that genuinely needed to and still need to protect themselves because they're compromised and weak. But I think there's a lot of people that have hidden their flesh and carnal tendencies behind this pandemic. They've used it as an excuse to be slothful. And I think those are the first people that would bail out on the church when true persecution hits. It's just a a, a a way the Lord is revealing the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares and the true and the false. Think about it like this. Right now, if you come to church, you run the risk of getting COVID-19. I'm not making light of that, all right? What if you were in Smyrna, and coming to church meant your property would be seized? What if you were in one of the Roman colonies, and going to church that Sunday meant you might be met at the door with a sword, or you might be impaled on a pole, or you might like Polycarp be burned alive? What are you going to do then? And my point is this, if not to make light of it, but if a virus and a pandemic, Is sufficient cause to keep you away from God's house and faithful and fidelity and loyalty to Jesus Christ? What will you do when true persecution hits? And I think every person listening better answer that question in your heart and in your mind and in your motive. Because I really do believe we're going to have some of that. And people are gonna have to count the cost and determine whether or not they're gonna take up their cross and follow Jesus when the fire gets real hot and when persecution becomes very real, up close and personal, and in the face of the church. And I think that
1: day could come very quickly. That's what you talked about in your introduction too, that uh, because of that, persecution is a gift. Yes. Uh, it it does separate the wheat from the tares, uh, but it also purifies the church. It strengthens us, uh, causes us to be more dependent upon Jesus. The apostles, when they were brought before the
0: Senate and beaten, they they said in the book of Acts, we we rejoice that Christ counts us worthy mm-hmm. to suffer for His name. They they saw it as a, as a a gift, as a part of their sanctification, a part of the way that they were being rewarded by Jesus is that He let them suffer for His name's sake. Mm-hmm. And we have verses of Scripture like Romans five that says tribulation works patience, and patience works experience, and experience hope. Hope makes us not ashamed. James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse tests, knowing that the testing of your faith works patience. Job said, when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. There's a purifying, maturing, flesh slaying, bringing us back to love for Jesus effect that comes, I'm not sure it comes any other way than through the fires of persecution. The Lord has a way of using that to not cause the church to retreat, Mm. but actually to cause it to advance Mm -hmm. and to move forward Mm -hmm. uh, in their
1: love for him and effectiveness for him. And you'd say as that's been your experience, I mean, granted, none of us are polycarp. None of us have been nailed to a stake and threatened to be burned to death or anything like that. But there has been genuine, real persecution that you've experienced, and maybe give us some example of what some of that's been like for you on a personal level, and then on the other side of that, being able to look back and say, this is what the Lord has done through it all. I really don't even
0: know where to begin, brother. A friend of mine down at Grace Life Church, Matt Fowler, used to always say, just jokingly among our friends, man, Johno's always getting gut punched. Mm. <laughs> and it just seemed like for years and years and years, that was my lot. Mm. That was my crook in my lot, as Thomas Boston, I think, mm-hmm. said. And it was very, very real and intense for probably the first 10 to 12 years as the pastor here at Shelbyville Mills. And I could even go back to seminary days and my former church, but I won't do that. But it was very real and very intense. The church was very unhealthy. Um, And for the first decade, I didn't do anything, I mean literally anything, except go to that pulpit and preach the word. I think our pulpit's, what, about probably four and a half, five feet wide. And I tell guys all the time, when I came here, I had five feet. Mm -hmm. That's the only room I had to operate, but it proved to be enough the only room I had was the pulpit to stand up there week in and week out and preach the word. And the looks on faces, just the climate was horrible. Uh, You could just tell I was hated and what I was doing was hated. Um, There was a, a gentleman that would park his truck in the neighborhood right over here behind the church. And he had a log and he would log every day when I arrived at church and when I left and that went on for for a long time. Um, I would walk down through the halls of the church and there would be a little group meeting over here and a little group of people meeting over here and when they would look at me, it was just like obvious that, and then some of them would just come to me and verbalize that and just say to me straight up. I had a guy come to my office one day and knocked on the door and came in and said, I'll be brief. Um, I don't know if you, have options i don't know if you've got a resume out i don't know if you have contacts but if i were you i would be exercising those contacts because from this day forward i'll be leading the charge against you he turned mm-hmm. and walked out i'll be honest with you, it scared me
1: mm-hmm.
0: i'd be lying to you if i didn't tell you it, it intimidated me um just like i shared with the church yesterday morning when i read about all smyrna went through i'll I tell you brother it, it till this day it alarms me there there's something about that fire that we just dread and don't want to go through but when that guy came to my office that day and threatened me and that was a very real threat i didn't have any place to go and you know what i did what i told you a few weeks i went back to my call and i just remembered that jesus called me and by the way he called me to this church and he didn't say anything about leaving and i told that guy that day man i'd love to leave i wish i could but i don't have any place to go and i was sincere i was scared to death i said man i wish i had a place to go and I just told him, I said, I guess you'll just have to do what you have to do, and I'll just have to do what I have to do. Mm. And, um, but I didn't know which way it was going. L- literally, from week, from Sunday to Sunday, I didn't know if I'd have a job that next week. Mm. And you know, you got five kids. Mm. Brother, I've got a mortgage. <laughs> you know, I, I got groceries to buy. And it's intimidating. But I just kept coming back to the person of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just like Smyrna did. Mm-hmm. I just kept coming back to Jesus. I knew he saved me. Mm -hmm. I knew he loved me. I knew he called me. I knew he sent me to Shelbyville Mills. And Joe, I'm telling you, for years, that's all I had. For years, that carried me. But it was intimidating. It was personal. And the majority of it was focused on me. We want you out of here. We want you gone. A lot of preachers talk about how they have a honeymoon stage. You know, When they go to a new church, I never had a honeymoon. Um, it was marital conflict from day one. And so that those types of situations, you're right, that's not being tied to a stake and burned alive. We've not come close to that, but I, it's nonetheless intimidating. It's real. It's very real. It, and when you love your wife and you love your family and you're a provider and you want to take care of them and you've moved your family up here away from your family and you you don't have any family here, you don't have grandparents and uncles and People that you can say, well, we'll just go live with uh, my dad if you know if, if this happens or that happens. It, it's crunch time, and you have to truly, truly rest in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's just one example.
1: Well, and you're starting to see some of the fruit too that you even brought out in your message. You talked about the comfort that Jesus gave to Smyrna, and one of the things that He said to them was that ye shall have tribulation ten days. Yes. And you talked about how that was indicative of the fact that it would only be for a short time, that in the grand scheme of eternity, it was just a, a, a fly on the wall, so to speak. It was, you know, tiny. And talk about some of that. You've The Lord has been gracious to allow you to see some of that on the other end of being nearly massacred. <laughs> There are some things
0: in book of, the book of Revelation that we would uh, maybe file under the banner of numerology mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. this number is significant to this and this number is biblically significant to that. But this 10 days in Revelation chapter 2, I don't think is tied to anything. I don't see anything else in the book of Revelation that would say, okay, those 10 days are pointing to this. I think it was probably 10 days. And what Christ was saying was, is it's going to be intense, but it's going to be a relatively short period of time. And I take great comfort in that. I think that was probably a comfort to the church that they were facing, staring down literally the, 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 the sword of Rome and the persecution of the Jews. And Christ said to them, I know where you're at. I know it's difficult. I know it's very, very intense right now but it's gonna pass. Mm. Hold on, mm. some of you may even be killed. Some yep. of you may have to be faithful unto death. unto death. That's what it says. However, it's going to be, in the grand scheme of things, relatively short. We used to sing that old song, 10,000 years, mm. will just be started. Mm. 10,000 years, it's we've just begun. The battle's over mm-hmm. and the victory's been won. Mm. 10,000 years, we've just begun. Compare 10 days to 10,000 years. And by the way, 10,000 years is not a drop in the bucket. Mm-mm for what we will be in eternity with Jesus Christ. So when you look at your sufferings here on earth, you've got to be honest that though, while they can be intense, they tend to be seasonal. They tend to have a starting point. I'm the first. And they tend to have an ending point. I'm the last. And at the first of your suffering and at the end of it, Jesus is right there. He's right there with you, walking through it with you. And my experience has been in all of life that life tends to come in seasons maybe not to get too far off here but maybe as a parent you have a difficult child brother Jeff said to me one time our children go through stages and not any one stage is going to define in totality who they are and just know that they'll come through that stage that's been true for me in parenting and it's been true for me in pastoring I remember one season Joe when If you Google Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church to this day, if you just Google Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church, one of the first things that will pop up was a minister that we had on staff that embezzled money from our church. And people that know us know that story and are very familiar with it. That was an unbelievably difficult time as this brother was my close personal friend and by the way still is and I love him with all my heart and we've been redemptive there Mm -hmm. and won great victories there with him and his family they're still here and members of our church and we rejoice in that but in that season in those if you will quote 10 days (laughs) Mm -hmm. in that in that season of suffering we had an embezzlement scandal which was on Channel 2, Channel 4, and Channel 5, National, Nashville News. It even made it on MSNBC. Uh, Baptist Press got hold of it and wrote stories on it. Um, In that period right there, we had the embezzlement scandal. About two months into that, Mm -hmm. our chairman of deacons committed adultery and abandoned his wife and, and children, and we had to discipline him. And then just about a couple of months after that, the one of the janitors of our church was sending uh, explicit text messages to underage girls in the church and we had to prosecute him. That was in a period of maybe five or six months. Mm. You know the old song, uh, it is well with my soul. Mm. And one of those lines reads, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Mm every morning I'd get up and it's like another wave would hit me. I don't know if you've ever been down to the coast and swam with the big waves and and got knocked down and you try to get up and another one hits you and you try to get up and another one hits you and you can't catch your breath. When he uses that word tribulation, philipsis in the Greek, it's like an elephant sitting on your chest. You feel like you can't breathe. That was my life, brother, for that season. And while I was in that season... Joe, it seemed like an eternity. But now that I'm 10 years on the other side of that season, I look back on it and I can say, well, thank the Lord it was relatively brief. Hot, heavy, intense, but it was seasonal. It's been said that you're either in a trial, coming out of one, or about to go into one. But in whatever stage you're in, the Lord is merciful, He's of great pity and compassion, He's identified with us in our sufferings, and He will have the grace to bring us through it if we persevere and trust Him and love Him and don't compromise and give in, you know, and sell out, which makes it worse
1: when you do that. Yeah, it does. You brought out the fact that the city of Smyrna, and this was just, it sounds to me like it was just from a, a, a word study, you know that the city was so corrupt yet the church and even men like Polycarp would have been kind of a sweet aroma. Uh, Talk about a little bit of some of that Smyrna, myrrh and and how they're going through that persecution and yet even there they are a sweet aroma. Well when you do
0: a word study and that's exactly what it grew out of Smyrna the name Smyrna is derived from the word myrrh Mm -hmm. which was a spice we know associated with Jesus in his birth and death and burial. It's a spice when beaten and crushed releases its fragrance, but you have to beat it and grind it to get the smell. And I think our lives are a lot like that sometimes. Sometimes we have to be broken. Sometimes we have to be crushed in order for the sweet fragrance of Christ to be released. I don't know I wasn't there I can only read the accounts I don't know but some of the historical accounts that I read of Polycarp's martyrdom was people that were there testified that when Polycarp was burned they there was a sweet aroma Mm. and you know that sweet fragrance spread over the entire Roman Kingdom Mm. and we read about people in roman government being saved we read about jailers being saved we read about priests in judaism being saved because of the witness of the apostles and the churches and this might not be our choice but thank god we're not the chooser god is he's the one that elects and chooses and he's the one that chooses our course and our path the lord knows what we need when we need it And sometimes it might seem to us not to be the case, but the Lord can handcraft a trial and a tribulation and a persecution that can actually make us more fragrant and make us more effective gospel witnesses and more effective church for his glory. And sometimes that's only accomplished through persecution. You know, when Jesus was born, the kings from the Orient brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Even in his birth, there was signals to Mary and Joseph, this baby is born to die. And then when Jesus was on the cross, he was given vinegar mingled with myrrh. And then when he was buried, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea brought myrrh as a burial spice. So this is a spice that's very connected with Christ in his suffering. And here he says to this church, you're in the city of myrrh. You are going to be identified with me. And every one of us, by our very birthright, Mm -hmm. have been called to bear a cross, the cross of Jesus. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20 nevertheless i live Mm -hmm. it's not i but christ who lives in me and the life i now live in this flesh i live by the faith of the son of god that loved me and gave himself for me Mm -hmm. we are going to be identified with jesus in his suffering if you're the elect of god Mm -hmm. if you're born again if god has chosen you out for himself he's chosen you to a path of opposition and persecution that's part of the way that he makes
1: disciples and builds his church. That's right. Sometimes the suffering is not all about us. That's right. And that's I brought that up, too, because I believe that that's genuinely what the Lord has done with you and with Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church. Uh, you said that, you know, that, that, that vial has to be broken before the fragrant aroma can be spread out for everybody to smell. And that's what's happened. The Lord is now—you just talked about a banner year for Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church in the middle of a global pandemic those things wouldn't be possible if there wouldn't have first been a a breaking and then the Lord using us to be a fragrant aroma. And I'm not saying that to brag, except to brag on God, that that's what he's done with this church. I guess we have to be careful in our
0: recounting events and, in, in, in a podcast like this that we don't say, and they all lived happily ever after, you know, because we don't live happily ever after until we get home to be with Jesus. Now we're happy in the journey, but it's not over till we meet Christ face to face. And so there'll be more 10 days. There'll be more yeah. suffering. There'll be more seasons that I go through and that you go through and that Shelbyville Mills goes through and that our church goes through. But I want to be careful to say this and give the glory to God. There are some things that I am convinced could not have happened and would have never happened had we not gone through that season that I've described. On the other side of it, people in town that might have even kind of been enemies came to me and said, we respect the way you handled this. You handled this rightly. You handled this in a biblical way. Leaders in the community came to me and said, this was handled appropriately. You guys did this right. Your church has been a light to our community. Recently, a a federal prosecutor with the state of Tennessee, I ran into him just out in another city away from here. And when he found out I was at Shelbyville Mills, he said, I was looking online the other day and read the article about your church and what it went through with the embezzlement. He said, I can't believe that our paths crossed. He said, I just wanted to tell you Mm. that I respect you for the way your church handled that. I don't know that that kind of thing is possible if we're just left to ourselves. I think there's a crushing of the myrrh that has to occur for that kind of fragrance to be released. And I hope that encourages some brother right now that's down in the, uh, Mm. you know, dish being grounded up. I hope that might encourage him that while he's suffering, a sweet fragrance is being released that
1: people are going to take note of for Jesus and his glory. Amen. Amen. And that might be the place that we leave it here. You know, uh, your last point in the message was that this Jesus made a call to Smyrna about this. This ought to get our attention. This ought to grip us here. But specifically, the comfort that the Lord gave to that church, I believe he'd have a have that for pastors that are going through it would what would you, and a kind of a final word here to maybe wrap it up a little bit what would you say then to pastors believers uh that one voice of reason on a deacon board you know uh or an entire congregation that may be experiencing persecution today i think the very real fear and i my heart goes out to any brother because it it hurts and it's
0: painful it's scary but at the core of this thing he's afraid he's gonna get hurt. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is gonna hurt me. This is gonna hurt my family. This is gonna hurt my children. This is gonna hurt the, the, the name of Christ in this town. And I think it's very interesting that at the end of this section, Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, you're not gonna be hurt of the second death. Mm. The only thing that could really hurt us is the second death. And Revelation defines that that's when death and hell is cast into a lake of fire You can read about that in Revelation 20. Uh, In Revelation 21, it both mentions the second death. That's the real hurt. Mm. If we don't experience that, we haven't really been hurt. And Christ here is clearly saying, Mm. if you follow me and you're faithful to me and you overcome, you'll never really be hurt. Mm. The true hurt would come if we compromise, burn that incense to Caesar, drop down on our knee to Zeus. Go along with all of the Greek gods and goddesses, i.e., American culture. Get caught up in all of the political realm and all of the discussions, and go along with the ideas today that are accepted and apropos, and you know, be culturally relevant. All that's burning incense to Caesar and bowing to Caesar. Our our loyalty and our fidelity is to a carpenter from Nazareth that bled and died on a Roman cross for us. And he says, you'll never be hurt of the second death. So just know if you're suffering today, it's not full and final hurt. Prayerfully, it'll be a short season. Hopefully you'll come out on the other side and learn from it and be a stronger Christian, a stronger pastor, a stronger dad, a stronger mom, a stronger churchman. And it's a part of your sanctification and your growth. But you have to have no fear of the second death because Christ has overcome that. And because you're in
1: Christ, you'll ultimately overcome it too. Well, that's a good place for us to wrap things up. I want to thank you uh, for listening in. Let me just remind you that Brother Jonathan is preaching through the book of Revelation right now. And if you'd like to listen to any of our messages or check out some of our resources, just follow the link that's attached to this podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to the Faithful Expositor. For more information on Brother John O's ministry, go to our church website, smbconline.com, and follow him on Twitter at John o. Sims.